Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. We will continue this evening with our discussion of the 105th Anucheta of the Paramatma Sandarbha, Sandarbha of Srila Jiva Goswami. We find in this 105th Anucheta that what Jiva Goswami is doing here, he's giving a very elaborate explanation of the first verse of the Srimad Bhagavatam. But in addition to that, what he's doing is he's setting the framework upon which Sri Baladev Vijabhushan will be able to put forward the conclusions of the significance of the Bhagavat Purana in his commentary on the Vedanta Sutra. So we're looking at some chunks of time here. We're looking at the Goswamis, specifically Sanatan Goswami and Rupa Goswami, and then their nephew, Jiva Goswami, is like he's coming along and coming into his age as they're about to depart. So they're, they're training him up in the philosophy as they've learned it from Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and, has, and as they've begun to encapsulate it in their writings by following the direction of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in drawing Nana Shastra, drawing all the conclusions of the Shastras together in a way that they can give significant uh, scriptural evidence to the philosophy as they learned it from Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Jiva Goswami comes along and then he kind of, he wraps all those instructions together in the Sandarbhas and re relying on the, on the Bhagavatam as the primary evidence or praman. In fact, he, teach, he treats the verses of the Bhagavatam as sutras themselves, just as the other Sampradayas, of course, present the Vedanta Sutra. Some of the other Sampradayas up to this point, as their primary evidential support upon which they derive and develop the Siddhanta, or their spiritual viewpoint regarding the Absolute Truth, the Supreme Lord, of course we're talking of Vaishnav Sampradayas here, they, their, their basic pramanas are the major Upanishads and the Bhagavad Gita and the Vedanta Sutra. Prasthana Trayi, so these three together, the three the Upanishads, Bhagavad Gita, and the Vedanta Sutra, they carefully study these texts as other Sampradayas have done and carry that those trends of thought forward in time to substantiate the significance of their Sampradaya. And as we know, there's four main Sampradayas, Vaishnav Sampradayas. There's many other Sampradayas, but the Vaishnav Sampradayas are the ones that accept the Supreme Personality of Godhead as a person, as a worshipable entity, 
as someone we can develop a loving relationship with. The other Sampradayas, they have some conceptions of the absolute truth, and they certainly serve those Sampradayas well, but we, the Vaishnavas certainly think and feel and have realized through direct experience uh, the a relationship with the Lord which they want to carry forward in their teachings. So Jiva Goswami is taking all that and he's he's following following the lead of the of his his uncles and in doing so they're introducing a new dynamic into the equation. Prior to this, the Bhagavatam was just another Purana. This Purana, that Purana, Puranas are developed in order to give a, 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 a presentation of scriptural knowledge in a way that entices different mentalities based on those mentalities involvement in the modes of material nature. So we have pramanas that are directed to people who are primarily in the mode of ignorance, pramanas directed to those that are primarily in the mode of passion and the mode of goodness. And then we also have those pramanas which are, we would call bhakti shastras, those pramanas that, that deal with, with bhakti. But of all those, even after compiling all these Puranas, Srila Vyasadeva, he wanted to put it all in writing. He wanted to help out humanity in Kali Yuga. He, of course, is a manifestation of the Supreme Lord, and he, he saw what was on the horizon, and it wasn't a very rosy picture. Humanity was going to hell in a breadbasket, so to speak. <laughs> and as we can see in our... If we look outside of our small sangha here, it's terrifying sometimes to just look out and say, what the hell is humanity coming to? What are they doing to the earth? What are they doing to humanity? What are, These people have just gone mad. From our perspective, they've gone crazy, honestly. And it's, it's regrettable. And that's, that, re, that regret on our part turns into a compassion drawn from the association of the sadhus. So we look upon humanity as we've been looked upon by the sadhus. And with that vision, then we also carry forward with an objective. And that objective is to let me emulate what I'm seeing in the sadhus and in my spiritual master and also develop that sense of compassion for there but for the grace of God where would I be because when I look out I see I'm terrified so we do we do carry with knowledge a terror for involvement in the material world as we see it. Uh, we don't become neurotic over it, but 
it is, of course, somewhat terrifying to see what, uh, if Kali Yuga is uh, 430,000 years and we're looking at 5,000 years in, what are the, what are the next 420, uh, you know, huh? That's a, that's a long time, 1,000 years. And you have scriptures that give some hint. Well, it gets, it gets. You think it's bad now, and here's some little indication. Oh, you know, humanity's gonna, they're gonna destroy the earth to such an extent that your only place that you're gonna feel faith, you're gonna feel safe to inhabit is a cave, or you're gonna dig a hole in the ground and live in the ground like a, like a rodent. I mean, the the, the scriptures do not paint a very a very rosy picture of the future of Kali Yuga. Be that as it may, we're not concerned with Kali Yuga. We're not concerned, except for the fact that in sometimes in fulfilling our desire to please the sadhus and the spiritual master, he may he may have a mood, and in that mood, he conveys to us his desire that if you really want to please me, print books. If you really want to please me, open temples. If you really want to please me, plant crops and do it all for Krishna. Or he may say, if you really want to please me, Sit down and just study scripture and become a pure unalloyed devotee yourself. That in and of itself is the best service you could do to humanity. So there's unseen service also. We shouldn't think that we have to work in the world because a devotee's never working in the world. So whatever whatever mood the spiritual master has we can take that on or sometimes we have our own moods our own desires we can go to the gurus the sadhus with this how could i best employ this in krishna consciousness because i can't just get i just can't get away from it now this is me and i'm not ready to sit and just read and chant all day i gotta have something to do so whatever whatever that's why we have a guru the guru is our personal well he's our uh, quote, quote, he's our handmade God, so to speak. He's somebody we can relate to and that can relate to us. So, Jiva Goswami has taken and presented these Sandarbhas. And in these Sandarbhas, he's taken what he's received from the other Goswamis and he's presented them in such a way that that major spiritual revolution that was brought about by the revelation of Srila Vyasudev in his time of despondency, he had a despondency. He couldn't complete, he felt, I didn't do it all. Narda said, okay, think about that. Think deeply about that. Why are you discontent? So he thought deeply about it, and in thinking deeply, he entered into samadhi under Narda's direction, and in that samadhi, he realized, 
I've given them all the goals. I've presented and laid out all the Vedas. I've laid out all the, the fifth Veda, the Mahabharata, for the less intelligent class to at least grasp onto spiritual concepts, put in the heart of it the Bhagavad Gita, and and then I presented all the Puranas, so Itihasas, and but my discontent's still there. I've given given them Artha, Dharma, Karma, and Moksha. That's all there. But I haven't emphasized that fifth attainment. I haven't emphasized Prema Bhakti. He personally felt that the best vehicle for that emphasis was a rewriting of the Bhagavat Purana, emphasizing the significance of unalloyed devotion to the Supreme Lord Krishna. So that's what the Srimad Bhagavatam is about. Now, this is a significant change because we see all, when we look at Praman, evidence for spiritual practice, we see evidence in Vaishnav Puranas, I'm sorry, Vaishnav Sampradayas, in Prasthana Trayi, these three. And then along comes Sri Chaitanya and the Goswamis, and the Goswamis are trying to encapsulate Sri Chaitanya's directives, and they, they can see, well, really, why are we putting so much emphasis on the Vedanta Sutra and a commentary on the Vedanta Sutra when we have the author's commentary, his personal commentary in the form of Srimad Bhagavatam? So why don't we just put the emphasis where the emphasis should be? The, the author in Samadhi determined that the Bhagavat Purana was the best vehicle for transmitting the essence of this highest of attainments, this Purushartha, this highest attainment of Prem Bhakti. He's put this in the Bhagavatam. We should just use that. That and that alone is significant. It takes off where the Bhagavad Gita left off and it gives a complete and comprehensive presentation of bhakti culminating in a personal presentation of the Lord's most intimate pastimes. They went with that. And Jiva Goswami, said, Jiva Goswami is now at a point where, and we can see that in what we're studying, he's like, okay, now I've got I've to fit this in to the spiritual culture of the day and show that the Bhagavat Purana trumps all other, anything else as far as the highest evidence regarding spiritual life, regarding Sambandha, Abhideya, and Prayojan. And that what we have in the Sandarvas. So now we see at the end of this Paramatma Sandarva, we have this, this encapsulation and this framework for understanding just one verse from the Bhagavat Purana, the first verse. 
And up to this point in this 105th Anucheta, what Jiva Goswami's done is he's shown correlations in the first verse of the Bhagavatam with exactly what's presented in the opening verses of the Vedanta Sutra. So this evening's discussion, this hundred and I'm sorry, hundred and hundred and fifth Anucheta, ninth part. There's only two more parts after this, so two more. Up to this point, he's basically shown a correlation with the opening of the Vedanta Sutra in the first verse of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Now he's going to wrap that up. He's going to give a couple alternative explanations in such a way to reinforce what he's already presented as far as the correlation and what exactly the Vedanta Sutra, opening sutras of the, of the Brahma Sutra or the Vedanta Sutra are saying and how they're said in the opening discussion, the opening verse of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Then he's going to show that the opening verse of the Bhagavatam contains a synopsis of the entire Vedanta Sutra. And he's going to conclude in this Anucheta this evening with that, if we get that far. And then he's going to go on to, to show in the next that the opening verse of the Vedanta, of the Srimad Bhagavatam encapsulates the Gayatri Mantra. Then he's going to go on and he's going to conclude by saying, and the opening verse of the Srimad Bhagavatam encapsulates in a very compact form, it shows the essence of the entire Bhagavat Purana. So those 10 subjects of the Bhagavat Purana He's going to show us how those exist in this first verse of the Srimad Bhagavatam. And then he's then he's then we're done with the hundred and fifth Anucheta. I don't know how many classes we've done on this, but it's been a long Anucheta. <laughs> but we're coming to the point. But you can see the significance of what Jiva's done here. The significance. He's drawing his audience, ourselves, into this conclusive presentation of just the opening of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Now, of course, this is carried in, in another 200 years. You're going to have, did he do it? Yes, of course he did it. Did he present it? Yes. Did the other Sampradayas accept it? Did they go along and say, yeah, the Bhagavat Purana is all you need. It's the topmost Praman. No, they didn't. <laughs> Even with the greatest logician in the world, Srila Jiva Goswami, they still were stuck in their tradition. They were singing it from their rooftops. Tradition, tradition, <laughs> tradition. <laughs> <laughs> Baladev Vishan, 
he has to he has to take drawing from Jiva's opening explanation here he takes off in his Govinda Bhasha with an explanation to satisfy those that are stuck even though they're flying on their rooftop they're still stuck in the may in this mindset that we got to follow tradition and if the the cat's not drinking the milk we can't have the bhagavad gita class it's just not going to work so if you're not going to if you're not going to write your own commentary on the vedanta sutra then we're not going to accept you as a, a bonafide sampradaya so what's good enough for vyasadev is not good enough for us that's the way we look at it Srila Vyasadeva was content to present the Srimad Bhagavatam as the topmost praman, explaining everything that he put in all the other books. This is the essence now. But no, sometimes tradition, tradition, we just get stuck in tradition. There's a lesson in that for us. That we need, we need to know that we are essence seekers. We're seeking the essence of spirituality. And if somebody was to come along with a more, something that explained more and explained better what was there in scripture, then we would certainly look at it not with with a critical eye we'd look at it with a critical eye but we wouldn't be immediately putting up barriers when we put up those barriers then we can impede our own spiritual progress we don't want to get so much wrapped up in institutions and traditions we want to we always want to seek the essence but we need to seek the essence under good guidance I haven't found any better guidance myself in this life and you wouldn't be here at this stage in your lives if you hadn't. So we're in good company and we have good good, good association and we have uh, good guidance here. And we are content with, with the, the presentation of Sri Chaitanya's, the essence of Sri Chaitanya's message as put forth by the Goswamis and all those coming after him. But we're able to navigate carefully the course and the presentation of the gurus by making sure that we understand the difference between principles and details and we understand the difference between circumstantial preaching, the tattva of a sampradaya, and the siddhanta of a sampradaya. There's always going to be circumstances where preaching has to be modified according to time, place, and circumstance. If it hadn't been modified for ourselves we probably would never have come in the door that's in all likelihood a fact 
but now we're going deeper. These classes here, uh, I'm not qualified, but I've been asked to, to study this book and try to present it in a way that we can go deeper into some very, it's, it's challenging. It, it's truly challenging to see contradictory viewpoints. Jiva Goswami doesn't leave any rock unturned. And he presents us with all this information. And he says, well, but we could look at it this way. And we could look at it that way. So we're going to take off looking at it another way tonight. So he begins this 105.9 uh, by looking at a couple things a different way. So, Bhagavan is the source of the Veda. Alternate. It's an alternate explanation of the sutras, uh, the Brahma Sutras 3 through 5. Jiva Goswami says. Next, the Bhagavatam verse 111 offers an alternative meaning to the sutra 113, Sastra Yonitvat. Now, the first explanation was given in 105.6. So, Shastra Yonit Vat. In the second line, who revealed the Veda to the first seer Brahma by way of the heart. The alternative meaning is as follows. Why is the agency of the creation, sustenance, and dissolution of the cosmos attributed to Brahman? Why is it not attributed to Pradhan, as stated in another philosophical system, or why not to some other entity? In response, the sutra says that it is because he is the womb, Yoni, the source of the scripture, Sastra, called the Veda. The Shrutis say, my dear Maitreya, the Rig, Yajur, Sama, and Atharva Vedas as well as the Itihasas, Puranas, Vidyas, Upanishads, Slokas, Sutras, Upasutras, and Vakyanas all appear from the breathing of the Supreme Being. Now the first explanation, which was given earlier of this, again, these are just Jeevas looking at it from a different viewpoint. So earlier he said that we can find this this third verse of the Vedanta Sutra, or basically the third verse is saying what? That the womb of knowledge is Shastra. That's really, okay, so we start out, now you have the capacity, inquire about your being. And then everything comes from the Supreme Lord. So the opening verse is Brahma Jignasa, inquire into your nature of your being. And second is Yataha, everything's coming from God. Everything's born of the Supreme Lord. Oh, that's a good start on spiritual life. Okay, I have intelligence. Now let me inquire into my nature of being. Well, you come from God. In fact, everything you see comes from God. Okay, now we're going somewhere. But and now we need to know how to move forward. Well, the third verse is very simple. 
you need guidance. And the best guidance is Shastra. So Shastra is the way to know about things, about God, about your being. So this is the Vedanta Sutra. It's sutras, just little little things of knowledge, but boy, are they unpacked, you know. Atato Brahma Jignasa, Atato. Now that you're done with Karma Khanda, you can go on to spiritual, Atato. Then there's a whole explanation. All the Acharyas open up their explanation of the Vedanta Sutra with this way of looking at it. First, you put, a, put aside the Karma Khanda. If you're not done with Karma Khanda, you're not ready. You're not ready yet to come here. Atato Brahma Jignasa. You have to be ready to move beyond just the Karma Khanda. If you still only want to enjoy in the world as you see around you, then you're not you're not there yet. But if you're ready to go on to the Uttara Mamamsa, then then you're ready for the Brahma Sutras. So earlier, this same explanation was given in the first, in a, in a be, beginning way by saying, that Brahman is the source of creation and so on is concluded from scripture. Because scripture alone is the source of valid knowledge regarding him. Sastra Yonit Vat. So now, Jiva is giving a second meaning. Who revealed the Veda to the first seer Brahma by way of the heart. So the second meaning is saying, is giving us a different explanation. This is how the knowledge is received and transmitted into the material world. First, it's significant that we accept Shastra, but how is that Shastric knowledge impregnated into material existence? It comes into the heart of Brahma. So that's, that's cool. <laughs> now, we've gone through the majority of this uh, subsection of the Anucheda. And I'm going to move ahead. I think we've tied together where we were and kind of put ourselves back in the mind frame that we left off at a month ago. And maybe you'll, I, you know, we've covered this. We could cover it again. We could go back to the beginning of the Tattva Siddharma and start all over again because there's so much here. But I do want to I do want to move us and push us forward. So if you want to go over again what we said in relationship to this, because we read through the whole thing, then the class is online. So. You can listen before Thursday evening and go over it again. I'm going to move up and conclude and begin our discussion this evening. Begin our discussion this evening at the, <laughs> where we left off at the, la, at the last class.
but he's given these alternative alternate uh, readings. Jiva goes on. He writes, So to disclose through the principle of exclusion that Bhagavan is intrinsically self-endowed with complete knowledge of the Veda, the verse indicates the lack of such complete knowledge in all Jivas whatsoever by the phrase about which even great sages are perplexed. Muyanti Yatsurayaha. So we go back to the first verse of the Bhagavatam and basically Jiva's taking us to this point that Brahma received his enlightenment through the heart. He had an epiphany. He was in Samadhi. I mean, it just didn't, he didn't go to a university and, and, and he wasn't schooled in who God was. He actually experienced God full on in his heart and he experienced all that knowledge. And if you remember in the last class, this is not unheard of. I mean, that's the nature of the Supreme. He can do amazing things. He is God, of course. So we we reminded ourselves of the of the pastime of Dhruva Maharaj. Dhruva's there. Wow, thank you. Uh, I get to. I, I'm seeing you, and I wanted this, and and it's worth nothing what I wanted, and seeing you is is more than I could ever want. So how do I thank you? And he's I, he has no idea. He has had no schooling. He has no background in, in knowledge of the Veda. He has, he's, he's lost. He's at a loss for words. So much at a loss for words you could imagine. He's just a small five-year-old boy, and here's God standing before him. He's like, oh, wow, you are really some heck of a personality. You're pretty, and wow, I, I, you know, well, forget it. You'd faint. We'd all faint. That's what Vishwanath says is the first thing. The first, the, your first reaction on seeing God is you're going to faint. So just, you know, bring along a pillow. <laughs> so anyway, but what happened? Krishna, knowing that he wanted, knowing his heart's desire, that he wanted, to, he wanted to thank God. At least let me thank you for the fact that you've shown yourself to me, which in and of itself is enough to exceed everything that I've ever desired or would ever desire in and of itself. How do I say thank you? Well, you don't know how. And then he touched him with his conscience immediately. All the conclusions of the Vedas pour into this little five-year-old's brain. Boom. Wow. Now I'm enlightened in the Vedas. Now I can speak a prayer. Thank you very much. And however he, he I did, you know. He did it right, so to speak. He knew what to say in the proper way. So Krishna could do this. So we're speaking about that in relationship to the first verse of the Bhagavatam. So this first verse of the Bhagavatam, uh, we have, Taini Brahma Hridai Ya Adi Kavaye. In the heart of Brahma, we have this infusion of Vedic knowledge through revelation. All the Vedas are becoming, are made, are just, well, he becomes the mouthpiece for the Vedas. They just flood him through his heart. Of course, he's also had revelation of, 
of the Supreme Lord. And, and so this is how the knowledge is basically coming initially into the universe through the topmost personality of the universe, Lord Brahma. Topmost because, well, remember that Haranyagarbha feature of the jivas, that conglomerate of all the jivas together. Well, there was one that stood out, and that one, he became the Brahma. He's like, he was perfect for so many lifetimes, and, you know, okay. And if he's not there, if all the, no jiva comes up to the task, jiva, Krishna says, okay, I'll become Brahma. He doesn't, it's not that the universal creation doesn't happen if no one is up to the task in purity and dedication and perfection in in complete complete fulfillment of everything perfectly for what is it a hundred lifetimes you know perfect execution of of everything in the you know in the, just a perfect life lifetime after lifetime for a hundred lifetimes and we're not talking about kali yuga lifetimes some of those are long, you know, so it's quite a task brahma's done he's He's certainly up to the task. So here, this third line of the opening verse of the Bhagavatam, Taini Brahma Hridaya Adi Kavaye, and then it ends, Muyanti Yat Suryaha. So Jiva's saying, what does this mean? Muyanti Yat Suryaha. There are certainly godly people, Suras, they're certainly, and they're knowledgeable, but you're not going to get this knowledge that way. Just becoming a saintly person is not going to give you the knowledge. So that's what Jeeva's explaining here, where we left off. By this also, Bhagavan alone has been directly described. Now, an alternative meaning to Sutra 115, Ixatir Nasabhyam is illumined by the word Abhijna itself. The meaning of the sutra is as follows. The Shruti says, He is devoid of speech, a sabda, untouchable, formless, and imperishable. So how can he be the source of words in the form of sabda or the Veda? Sabda yoni. God's beyond words, so there's no way to for him he, he he's beyond speech, he's beyond everything. So how's this happening? It's Jeeva's basically saying we need to look deeply, how is this happening? We know Brahma was just infused with knowledge, but and we know that here, Jiva Goswami is trying to correlate the fact that we're going to receive knowledge from Shastra, but we know Shastra is not, it, it's, it's, revel, it's revelation in sound vibration. So that's where we left off. This kind of a, of a, of a churning of the knowledge of the first verse of the Bhagavatam to, to see exactly how to understand this in perspective. In reply to this, it is said, the Brahman under discussion is not devoid of speech, sabdahina, 
Why? Because Sutra 115 employs the word ixati, because of the conscious act of seeing. Wait, we're talking about talking here. Now, now Jiva's saying, the, the verse is saying seeing, the fifth verse of this Vedanta Sutra, which correlates to the Upanishadic statement, he glanced with the resolve, let me become many, let me procreate. Tad aksata bahu sham prajayate. I'm sorry, prajayena, yaye, yaya, yaya. Okay, I'll get it sooner or later. Here the use of the verbal root ix to see is logistic in nature. To see is logistic in nature. This is what Jeeva is pointing out. Corresponded the, to the expressed intention, let me become many. Bahushyam. All of this is indicated in Srimad Bhagavatam 111 by the word abhijna, which is fully cognizant of everything. Or in other words, he who is highly skilled in the art of reflection, who is logistic in nature. This is expressed in statements such as, let me become many. Furthermore, this totality of his energies in the form of speech is not material because it existed even prior to the original impulsion of Prakriti to indicate that these energies exist within his essential being, the verse describes him as swarat, self-resplendent. What Jiva is doing is he's wrapping all this, this energy, he's explaining these energies, these shaktis of the Supreme, and showing that he can, he being fully resplendent, can express his energies in, any, in many fold different ways as necessary to the circumstance. So he's not limited. He can express, if he wants to express himself through logistically, through, through words, then he can do that. There's nothing to limit him in that regard. And his desire in and of itself is sufficient to do that. Now, what are we talking about here? We're talking about the Lord's desire to create. He wants to be many, is the way it's stated here. Again, it's the way it's stated here in the context of what's being presented. That's a whole other theistic concept that we could enter deeply into, that he's already many, because there's nothing new in the world. But it, it's trying to convey to us who look at time in a literal sense, and there has to be a beginning, so there has to be a desire on the part of the Lord. So the scriptures go along with that, for our benefit, and say yes. So God wants to be many, and he does that. So, now he's pulling that off by empowering Brahma and giving Shastric knowledge to Brahma. So, 
it's a very, very unique way of looking at these shaktis of the Lord that Jiva's giving us here. So let me read on. I'm going to read a footnote here. The word subdatmaka literally means by the nature of language or sound. Bhagavan's seeing, capac seeing capacity is referred to in Vedanta Sutra 115 by the word ikṣate, indicating that he glanced at the unmanifest pradhan prior to the onset of creation. So he glances and everything everything's set into motion. His seeing capacity is said to be logistic in nature. It's said to be what? Logistic in nature. Linguistic, I'm sorry. Yes. Language. His seeing capacity is said to be linguistic in nature because it includes the intent to manifest the creation as expressed in the direct verbal affirmation, let me become many. Bahushyam. So, this is some far out stuff. God wants to become many and he can express that it's his intent. He's such a sankalpa so whatever he wants poof, it happens but it can be that that capacity Jiva's saying is, today, um, is said to be linguistic in nature because it includes the intent to manifest the creation. In Indian linguistic theory, thoughts, ideas, and intentions belong to the pre-verbal dimension of articulated speech. Are you with, you're with Jiva here? You know what he's saying. You, have, you first have an intent then it formulates, right? I want to have offspring. I want to be rich. I, whatever I want. I want to be a pure devotee. Whatever I want, I, 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 there's first, first there has to be an intent. But how do, we, how do we get there? How do we get that out of ourselves? We have to use what? We have to. We have a sense of communication, a way, a way that we express that outwardly, and a way that we think of it inwardly, and that all requires language. That's what Jeeva is conveying here. That there's no difference between what we experience in any. formulation right of a desire we formulate a desire and how do we how do we do that what what's the mechanism by which we do that it's linguistic in nature because that's the way we relate that's the the sound is the beginning it starts in sound so 
Shiva's giving this really look look at what's going on here and and really to understand that the nature of that it's it's a deep thought and then to carry that thought forward and looking to the infusion of knowledge into the heart of Brahma the knowledge can be there but it's infused and it What's a way to express that knowledge? There has to be, right, there has to be a medium. And that medium of communication, whether it be the intent to do something or the intent to enlighten, the enlightenment itself revolves around the the whole scriptural enlightenment. It all revolves around a method of communication, communication. So that's kind of where Jiva's going here, that this is coming from the Supreme and he's using a methodology that we can relate to. Now, you could say but you don't know all we know is what we hear of what the transcendental realm is like but it's we're we're a perverted reflection of that so it's not that it only it's not like in spiritual life everybody's just going to sit there and i know what you're thinking and you know what i'm i mean but still even to th- even if we can do that even if we can communicate telepathically with each other <laughs> I would tell you a story <laughs> anyway uh, it takes me back to my old old days as a hippie and sometimes we had experiences like that at uh, certain uh, junctures in our life when we were uh, thinking we were more than we probably were but telepathic communication may you've Maybe you've all had some experience of that in one way or another. Huh? Doesn't have to be drugs. It's been meditation class. <laughs> You know me too well. <clears throat> but still, there has to be some... So that's what Jeeva's saying. There has to be some way to communicate, and that communication is language. And therefore, even from the very beginning, from the onset, no matter how how much you want to break it down, that's how we, how we relate. And that's also there at the very beginning... And that knowledge coming from the Supreme is communicated, although he could communicate it in any way he wanted, but still it comes out linguistically. So, and this is, this is Indian linguistic theory. Thoughts, ideas, and intentions belong to the pre-verbal dimension. Pre-verbal. You haven't verbalized them yet, but you know what, you know, Okay, I can re- we can relate to that. 
they're there in a potential form and then they're going to eventually come out um, of art okay since Bhagavan's linguistic seeing occurs prior to the material manifestation it is transphenomenal in nature okay we can go with that the Lord's intent before the creation begins to manifest is is it's before phenomenality begins um, it is therefore concluded that Bhagavan is intrinsically endowed with linguistic linguistic potency by which he is the source of the Vedic sound subda and yet he is devoid of phenomenal speech a subda so yes interesting yes subda a subda the supreme is a subda because what because he's super subda <laughs> he's not subda like you and I but he also has his linguistic way of communication and we could say that it's not like ours so we say not like the what what we are used to is a subda but don't take it to mean that he can't communicate he can communicate in all kinds of ways he doesn't even need to say anything and he can communicate he can communicate into your heart without saying anything or he can touch you with a conch shell and immediately the a flood of all kinds of communication enters therein whether it be through your heart so that's the potency of the supreme so this verse of the Bhagavatam <coughs> is speaking to the fact at least we got one line of a verse in to the fact that Brahma is infused with knowledge and that knowledge is not the same of knowledge same knowledge that can be arrived at through phenomenal experience no matter how well situated one may be so that's why the line the sentence the, the muyanti yat suraya it's not attained just by being pious just by being of a pious nature you're not going to get the kind of knowledge that Brahma got from Krishna so the second meaning is there the second meaning is that he imparted knowledge to Brahma and and now we'll go on in our next discussion maybe to get to another line um, and to come to the the further explanation this is basically ending ending of the of the correlation with the Vedanta Sutra in the first verse of the Bhagavatam and then he's going to go on and show that the first verse of the Bhagavatam contains contains a key to seeing all the knowledge contained in the entire Vedanta Sutra then on to Gayatri then on to the entire ten subjects of the Bhagavatam so all this in the first verse of the Bhagavatam in the first verse. <laughs>
then we only have 18,000 more to study in detail, like Jeeves presented this one, and we'll, we may understand something. So there's lots here, and there's no end to the knowledge. Is there any questions? Um, just to understand and conclude, um, so he's saying that um, that that's that's why it's so important that we have the, the the lineage and the knowledge coming from Brahma through is because no one can sit and just meditate and revive arrive at these things. And right. It's, it's, uh, There's yeah. something beyond everything that the world of phenomenality mm-hmm. offers, and there's something beyond everything and com- and there's something beyond what complete renunciation of the world affords mm-hmm. so either if you look at the world to acquire knowledge from everything you experience or you realize well it doesn't matter how much I experience I'm not getting anywhere I'm just spinning my wheels here I go here I go there I think that I think this I explore that I explored this so and I'm still in the same place so let me just see if I can find something elsewhere so let me inquire into Brahman or let me at least find the essence of myself so you can go so far in that you can become a Sukadev that's pretty good you can you become completely detached from the world and completely enlightened in the nature of your your being. I am not this body. I'm so there's a lot to be said, but it only how far does it take you? It takes you to to the state of complete detachment. You can become a jivan mukta, but even at the stage of a jivan mukta, when when Sukadeva Goswami heard those select verses from the Tenth Canto, that captured his that captured his attention. Though he'd already renounced the world, there was nothing in the world that could capture his attention. So much so that he walked naked in the world. He just didn't even care. He was carefree, and you know. But still, hearing hearing that transcendental vibration, and that's what we're talking about. That transcendental descending knowledge coming from the supreme. And that's encapsulated. So now we're going to go on with this. We're going to see how the whole the whole Vedanta Sutra is there in an encapsulated form in the first verse of the Bhagavatam. Then what about Gayatri? So many people are chanting Gayatri. Oh, that's there too. And then we have a summary of the whole Bhagavatam in this verse. So uh, yeah, it's it's pretty extensive commentary that Jiva's given us here on the first verse of the Bhagavatam. And I'm sure he's just getting started. I mean, if we wanted, you know, although it's been one one heck of a first uh, an Anucheda here, uh, guaranteed you could go to all the commentaries on the Bhagavatam from all the Acharyas. They all have more and more to add. So, yes, sir. Um, I'm wondering about uh, like this intent, this language of intent. Uh, before he's dressed in any language or like mm-hmm. so we don't miss anything to hear in English for example these ideas mm-hmm. uh, is all ideas uh, conveyed in English actually you don't need Sanskrit right or, or well, that's a it? blessing on us for yeah. 
uh, we were speaking about that one day at lunch um, with some guests. And uh, because we hear, sometimes you hear a comment that one Acharya books are good for 10,000 years and mm-hmm. you only need one Acharya's books. But So one could argue, well, that seems to be a, a real stretch because you even look to the writings of Shakespeare. How, how long ago was Shakespeare mm-hmm. writing? Four or five hundred years. I don't know what his what his time was, but it's within the last few hundred years. I doubt if any of us in this room could read Shakespeare in the original English that he wrote in and understand half of what he was saying. We need a current rendering. English has a lot of setbacks in that regard, as do all the other Abrahamic um, uh, languages. Sanskrit doesn't have that. That's why Sanskrit could endure because it is such a scientific language that it makes it perfect for scripture <laughs> because it is so such as I, I wish I you know I don't have enough knowledge of it to convey, but just from what I've heard. Uh, even modern scientists like to rely on Sanskrit presentation because there's little room for error in it or misinterpretation. So there's some real value there there for Sanskrit. That doesn't mean that we're deprived in any way because even spoken imperfectly, this knowledge is so potent that it can have. So even spoken through a language that's not Sanskrit Still, the potency is there. Does that answer your question in some way? Thank you. All right. I thank you so much for your association.